Today's episode features Steve McDonald of McDonald Ventures. One of the great things about this conversation is being able to borrow from an experienced entrepreneur and serial investor. Making multiple exits as an entrepreneur, also investing broadly across many companies, often pre-seed, to now doubling down and focusing on more as the experience kicks in and the network grows. And we get to learn about not only those transitions from making an exit to becoming an investor, even the emotional circumstances that take place with letting go of a company, walking away from it after all the hard work an entrepreneur puts in, but then also looking at the growth uh, from the beginning to a more seasoned stance or position as an investor, an angel investment and things of that nature. We also get to look at the exciting growth of one of Steve's first companies that he invested in, Kush, and what that looks like, which is a cannabis digital marketplace. A lot to unpack in this conversation. Stephen McDonald of McDonald Ventures. Steve, man, I am very grateful to get the chance to talk to you. You know, there's going to be a lot of perspective in this conversation that we get to borrow as a benefit uh, for anyone that's listening who's in the grind and they haven't made an exit yet, right? And they haven't become an investor yet. This conversation, I feel, is going to illuminate a lot of things they can anticipate to face themselves when they get to that level. Uh, but before we get there, let me check in with you. How have you been? How are you doing? Uh, awesome. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been great. You know, I got back, as I told you earlier, just uh, extended period overseas and getting back into the grind. It's been fun. Yeah. And, you know, I was looking over the notes. I was thinking to myself, how can I bring this home as soon as possible for everyone that's listening? And the first thing that came to mind as I sat there and really think about it, right? Because I interview entrepreneurs all the time and I'm asking myself, how can I get better? How can I get deeper? And I said, what if I asked you, with all your experience, right? You, like, we, like we mentioned earlier, you're a serial entrepreneur who's actually had multiple successful exits, right? Uh, you've invested uh, and not only across multiple companies, but we're even going to be talking about this later in terms of like focusing your investment strategy a little differently these days. Right. Uh, you're part of the community, you're a family man. You know, we looked over the notes and you're traveling and you 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 stay physically active and you've got all these things going on. So when I give you the phrase something like good enough or tired, whenever I give you any of those phrases, what comes to mind when you hear those things? More work. More work. <laughs> yeah. And I mean that sincerely, like um, you know, one of the things that I've always tried to do is I tie my, my business activities to my physical activity. And, you know, I set goals for myself. So um, those days when I'm the most tired, I, I know I have to get to the gym. And like, that's the starting point for more work. It's like, okay, I did this. I'm good. That's a good reset every day. Ooh, I like that. You inverse the feeling, right? You're saying, if I feel this tired, that means I have to go harder. Yeah. Only entrepreneur DNA can do that, man. <laughs> the average person's like, well, I guess that means I should take a day off. But no, entrepreneurs are just wired differently. That's, that's well, the you asked, that was, <laughs> you asked what the first thing it kind of doesn't mean that I don't every once in a while take a break and sit back and binge on Netflix. So I will take those days. Fortunately, you know, one of the benefits of, of being, um, you know, have, having had success is that you really get to manager on schedule and you're not on somebody else's clock 
So you can really, um, you can really manage around that versus, you know, having to be, it's, it's someone else's beck and call. See, I love that you brought that up. uh, And thank you uh, for diving in there because uh, a lot of people are pursuing the path of entrepreneurship via uh, startup capital and, and, and finding investors to, you know, back their company or, uh, to back a company they joined or what have you. And as a person who's been able to sit on both sides of that, right, actually leading a company and getting it to a place where it can be purchased, right, uh, multiple times, and then sitting on the other side and looking at companies and what makes a company worth investing in, right? We're talking about this concept of freedom and what it means. So I guess for me, at what point did you anticipate it was time to exit and shift over to the other side? Was it more a matter of this is what I'm going to do next because it was always my intention? Or you know what? Let me see what the other side looks like. Yeah, it's funny. Along the way, um, one of my friends who was uh, my VP of sales, who was with me from really the very beginning, used to ask me, what's your number? And I was like, at first, when the number was so far away from from what I thought I could achieve, you know, it's like 50 mil, you know, or 75 mil. But then you get to the number that you start hitting those numbers and that becomes more realistic. And then you get to a point where you're just like, you know what? I don't really know the answer to that question. When I stop having fun, that's really what it boiled down to. It's like when this is no longer fun for me um, and that, and the no longer having fun point was over over that journey, you know, at some point, um, I guess maybe along the, along the, the, the way that the, the scales kind of tipped, so to speak, like all my fun was inside the office. And then I started having fun outside the office and then the scales kind of tipped towards like more fun outside the office. And, you know, when that happens, you know, um, you know, the kind of company is, I don't want to say it's on autopilot because you're still looking for growth opportunities, but the company is growing. It's doing what it's supposed to do. And mo- most importantly, as you've, you've surrounded yourself by a bunch of really smart, capable um, executives who are now like have taken charge and are leading the company. And it gives you a lot more time to kind of sit back and reflect on what's next. Um, and ultimately, at some point, you know, maybe about six years before I sold, um, I brought in another, I brought in a CEO. And so I kind of moved into a chairman role. And over that period of time, um, you know, it's kind of like you think about it, it's like almost a dream come true. Like, oh, wow, you know, you can sit in a chair and, you know, and have that role. But you kind of, for the entrepreneur who's been in this and in, in running and, you know, building for so long, like it's fun for a while. But then you realize after a year or two or three, it's like, it's a little bit like purgatory. You kind of like, you, you have like the situation where you don't really know what's next, but you know that you can't leave until it's done. But you also can't interfere with the people who are in the day to day. And so you, you just kind of, you're sitting in this mode where you're like, is it more of me or less of me? And um, so over time, it just became less and less of me. And I was like, okay, there's got to, you know, what's, what's next. And then along that time, there was a lot of industry consolidation. I wasn't having as much fun as I used to do. Um, we had, you know, we were, we were getting offers to buy the company, you know, multiple times a year. 
And maybe just over time, it wore me down and the numbers started, you know, sounding good enough, and, you know, and assessing whether or not the, that number would give, would give me the opportunity to maintain a lifestyle and then allow me to go on and move on to the next thing. And so that was really the culmination of a lot of different factors over time was really what drove home that decision. So let's, 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 let's dive a little deeper now. So actively right now, you're currently investing in a few companies as opposed to many you mentioned uh, before we got started here. And you're doubling down on Kush and what's going on there. So why don't you tell me a little bit about your, your activity there? Why, why cannabis? I mean, I know you're in tech health and that was where you had started and you made a few exits in that direction as you kept building that out. And then you go into CBD. Is it because it's wellness and sort of aligned or what was that decision like? Uh, so the, the later days of my, um, my career, my last company, Matrix, I knew that I wanted to get into early stage investing. It was one of the things that I, that I found just really exciting. Um, and that um, was kind of very narrowly focused. So I wanted to take the chance um, and invest in a lot of different companies along the way as I was making my exit out. I wish I would have started that earlier, but, you know, it is what it is. And so one of the first companies, you know, I, I've, I've invested in over 100 uh, early stage companies. And one of the first investments was this company called Kush. And it was a digital marketplace platform. It's kind of like an Etsy for, for growers and um you know, sellers. Um, the, I think the founders had been in it for a number of years. Um, and when I got back from Italy, I kind of really wanted to, to light a fire. That, that company um, has really an enormous, you know, the founders did a good job building a good platform. But, they, you know, in my opinion, they didn't do a great job monetizing it. I, I, I swore I would never get back into startup when I sold my companies. But I looked at this as a really creative opportunity and I really missed the energy that comes with like building something. Um, and so the closer I got, um, I was kind of like, you know, um, a firefly on a fire. Like I, the closer I got to it, the closer I wanted to get to it. And so I just finally just said, all right, screw it. I got to do this. You know, everyone especially on social media right now, who's in entrepreneurship and venture capital is talking about interest rates. Now, to most people who are bootstrapping, I don't even know if whether or not they pay that much attention to that because they're busy trying to get whatever money they get from sales to, to uh, keep the operation flowing, right? Uh, maybe bank lending if they're looking for cash flow, uh, cash flow loans. But for the most part, interest rates seems to play a huge role in whether or not uh, many companies can bring their ideas to full fruition in a market like today. And I mean, really since, uh, since the pandemic and maybe a little bit before that, there was an explosion of capital. You're watching all these unicorns get shut down left and right. And you're thinking like, what's going on? What does the future hold? Now you, as someone who has not only made multiple exits, right, during likely a great time uh, for venture capital, uh, but then you know, you're also sitting on this other side, investing in companies. What are your current views on, on the way interest rates are impacting investment? Uh, and especially because you're, you're taking your own money, right? This is your fund that you started with uh, McDonald Ventures, right? Which is, it's not like you joined some huge fund. So you taking that stand is 
brave and, and, and I think a powerful and bold choice moving forward. And again, you're an entrepreneur and based on the conversation we've had even just early to now, I can already tell that's just the way you roll. So again, what are your views on that? And, and how can entrepreneurs sort of borrow from that perspective that you have of both being an entrepreneur and an investor to understand the current market as far as like your insights on it? Um, well, I'll tell you, at least for uh, Kush, our number one priority is cash flow break even. So that's the baseline. That's what we're striving for. Um, because once you get to cash flow break even, your world changes because you're no longer reliant on anybody else. And it's, that's, the, that's the beautiful place to be. There's a couple of companies in my portfolio who are growing, you know, tremendously. And um, the difference between now and two years ago is that um, the amount of money that was being thrown at early stage companies without revenue and without, a, uh, without real growth trajectory and most importantly, that they couldn't articulate a clear path to profitability, but they're still raising hordes of money, um, that, that's gone now. And so um, these companies that are early, and it's the advice I give to nearly all my portfolio companies is, um, make your dollars last. And you, and you have to be focused on getting to, to cash flow break even. Again, once you get to cash flow break even, it opens up your world to different opportunities because at that, at that, once you get that, that's like your baseline and it's a launching pad for all future investments. So you can choose that every new dollar of profitability goes 100% into reinvested uh, for the company or maybe, you know, you know, if you're an early stage, you're like, okay, well, maybe I can finally take a raise after the last four years of not taking a raise or a salary. Or maybe you've got employees that need a raise but you get to be judicious about how you allocate the, that capital because at that point now, like you have to, you know, the game changes. You have to start thinking about retention, customer retention. You have to start thinking about marketing, um, employees. And, and at some point in, in your life cycle, you also have to think about yourself. Like at what point, I mean, I went for three years without taking a salary when I started. So at some point you have to, you do have to take care of yourself. And so, but you also have to, you know, Entrepreneurs are a different breed. Most people wouldn't go three hours without salary, right? So um, that's kind of the that's the difference. And they, these, this interest environment just forces people um, to make harder decisions than they than they had to make in the past. And in the long run, these are the companies that have the most opportunity on the other side of all this. Now, when you're looking at a company to invest in at this current stage where you are now, um, do you? often make an assessment of how many other options you have for profit centers or, or, or opportunities to, like, for example, let's take the marketplace, right? You look at that and you say to yourself, okay, that's, there's some things that are being done right here. I see some other avenues we can start to generate revenue from. Is that where you start to head in the direction of, I think I may invest in this company? I think the world of like venture capital and angel investing, sometimes when people pitch us, it's a little bit lost in that, you know, just because we say no doesn't mean it's not a good idea and it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. It just means that in the, um, in the universe of opportunities that we're looking at or we have access to, it may not just be the one that we perceive as having the highest likelihood of um, the biggest outcome. So, you know, I just, and I urge people not to get too, too discouraged 
when they try to raise money and they get nosed, it doesn't mean it's not a good idea. It just means it may not be the right investor. Right, that maybe they don't have a grasp on the industry as a whole and the other opportunities for revenue channels and what have you. That makes a lot of sense. Exactly. So, you know, I've heard a lot of things and have actually interviewed quite enough people from Tampa Bay to know that there has been an explosion of entrepreneurship in Florida, right? And uh, here I see that you're with Florida Funders. And also, I took a look online. I see that you're very active in the community. How did you come to make that decision? And was this talent related to your industry or just talent that you knew could handle any industry? No, it was a talent related to my industry, you know, relationships. And plus, you know, 20 years ago, I knew that Tom Brady was going to win the Super Bowl for us. So. <laughs> well, if that isn't a fact, if you... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right on. Right it's good on. enough for Tom Brady, right? It should be good <laughs> enough for other people. Right. And so then how did you get involved with Florida funders? Uh, well, one of the things I encourage um, all early stage entrepreneurs to do is to find peer groups. Um, and early, you know, early in my career, one of my peer groups, um, I had you know, another group of CEOs um, that were starting companies and growing companies. Um, we were together for nearly a decade. And um, over time, you know, as, as we separated and went our own ways, few people got back together and they started a venture capital fund. And the idea was, all the money was leaving Florida and going to other areas when, you know, collectively, you know, we love the area. We think that there's a lot of talent here and we wanted to encourage um, um, a, a place for entrepreneurs to uh, keep our best and brightest in, in the Sunshine State and become a, a place known not just for, for growing oranges, but for growing technology companies. And so that's, that's what, you know, they, you know, my friends, that was the original idea, the premise behind that. And, you know, a couple of years after I sold, you know, a year or two after I sold, they were still early and, you know, they asked me to get involved. And so I said, yes. What does it look like to grow a community like that from your perspective so far, having been involved in all those facets, you yourself also being an entrepreneur, not just an investor, you know, uh, looking at all the young hopes and dreams and, and having to advise, I imagine, on numbers of occasions and knowing that this is building an ecosystem there. How does that feel? What does that look like for you so far? Uh, I think we've been very fortunate. I, I think, you know, one of the things is that communities need the, um, they need to tap into the successes of the people who've, who've been there and done it before. This community did a really good job of assembling a group of entrepreneurs um, that had, had had success. And it's really this group, it's like a, it's a city, it's a village within a city that uh, wants, is excited to mentor, to propagate, to fertilize, um, and excite the next generation of potential entrepreneurs. Um, you know, when we first started, there was, you know, this was back in 99, there was very, very little, there, there was no venture capital here. The term angel investing hadn't even been invented. If it was, it was only scarcely used. Um, and over time, this group of people, you know, first it started with just happy hours where, you know, we'd all just get together and, you know, have drinks and, and share stories, war stories. Over time, um, there were a couple ambitious people who said, you know, we, we can turn this into something bigger. And it became a, 
a formalized happy hour. And then that formalized happy hour, then all of a sudden, you know, recruiters kind of came in to sponsor the happy hour. And then, you know, from that, then, you know, somebody says, I have an idea for an incubator, you know, and, and it's just, it was, you know, it's been 20 years in the making, um, you know, longer than that. And so it doesn't happen overnight, but with the um, persistence of a bunch of real evangelical uh, Tampan entrepreneur ecosystem, like, you know, we're at a place where we're now on a national radar. This is a fact. I know I've interviewed enough companies to know that's a real thing and also grateful to it because I don't feel like capital should be centralized in one place or in, in one place in an entire country or in one place in an entire world or even in one place in an entire city, right? And I think part of the work that entrepreneurs do is to create abundance everywhere they go and investors in kind as well. Uh, so let's go a little further into sort of the way you're viewing investing these days. We talked about it earlier, hinted at it a few times. But uh, you mentioned to me that in the past, you'd been known for investing, you know, in like multiple companies, a small amount here and there, getting involved. And you've since changed your strategy. Now, is this explicitly because of experience or because you wanted to see the growth of these companies in particular that caught your eye and double down on those? Um, I, it's a combination of both. You know, when I first started angel investing, investing was a new skill that I needed to learn and, and acquire. And so, you know, it was more of a, you know, spray and play kind of prey attitude. Um, but it also gave me exposure into all kinds of different companies, the opportunity to see, you know, to profile what companies um, became successful, did not become successful. What did, you know? What were some of the commonality commonalities? And it's not like I created this elaborate working model, but it's really more anecdotal, you know, through the experience and talking to bunches of different people, as as well as um, finding those other investors who had much more experience than I did, and co-investing alongside them, and learning to see what you know where their successes were, um, and giving me the opportunity to have you know better quality deals along the way. And so the, um, that was the first part. And then over time, as I got, well, I, well, I felt like I started to learn more and I got more involved and I sat on more company boards and started to see some success. Um, I think it was also um, one of the reasons, you know, where I got sucked back into being an entrepreneur again, because I, they were having more fun than I was having. And so, um, <laughs> You know, I just, you know, I felt like I wanted to be a little more deeply involved in, in, in these companies and just much more exciting. You know, you actually have a hand on the pulse of what's going on and participating. And um, just for me, the excitement factor is comes into the building and creating the building and creative process much more than maybe getting lucky on an investment. So, and everybody's different, but that's, that's kind of, like I said, that's how I got stuck back in. That makes a lot of sense, actually. It's um, especially for someone coming from the entrepreneur side first, as opposed to just having always been an investor, is the idea of like really being involved. You can feel a sense of attribution, contribution, and you knew where things were going as opposed to, well, you know, I made a lucky bet, right? And 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 nobody who's worked that hard for most of their life will ever like that feeling or ever come to love that feeling. So I, it makes a lot of sense when you put it that way consciously. And, and then, you know, speaking of those types of feelings, 
I have come across enough people in my interviews to see that when an entrepreneur makes an exit, they're happy for about maybe two weeks. And then they're like, oh God, I got to do something. So what, how do you, let's, let's, let's take this back. How did you first feel after making your exit? We know enthusiasm is probably one of those, right? But how did you come to terms with success? Because then the problem is, great. This is like most people's highest ambition. What's next? How did that process go for you? And how did you come out of it on top? I think it sucked. <laughs> it really did. Because I, I went from being in control to giving somebody else a pot of money and said, don't, don't fuck it up. Right? Like I had to give this to, you know, my financial advisor who, you know, lifelong friend, but I'm like, you know, seriously, don't fuck this up because I was in charge before and now I got to give it to somebody else. In addition, you know, the, um, you know, you're dependent on the market, you know, what happens in the market, whether you have a next pandemic and, you know, I'm not used to that, right? So when you see, you know, when you see your net worth or the money that you were making, um, you know, it was, it was, you know, you're making cash every year and it's coming in. And now all of a sudden, like I said, you've got a pot of money, you got to give it to somebody else and hope for the best. And like that, it really is, you know, it's, it was anticlimactic for me. Yeah. I mean, my family and I went on a big cruise, but that was, that was fun. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I see what you mean. You built this up and you know you're letting go of the reins and you're like, great, I'm getting some money. But honestly, some things are almost more important than money. Very few things in this world that deliver that kind of value that supersedes that. But one of those is definitely having created something only to know there's the possibility of that to be destroyed, especially after all that hard work. That's like someone knocking over your Legos, right? But like in a way more real sense, people's lives, careers, jobs, dreams, hopes. Yeah, that's a lot to let go of all at once. <laughs> well, it really boiled down to um, having some level of a sense of control and then having no control or very, very little control because I'm not a professional investor yet now I'm relying on and trusting people to invest all that work that I've accumulated over the last 20 years. So then let's talk about that uh, as we begin to close things out, because I think it's the most relevant, obviously the, the next step, would, it would be an easy transition. And that is, for the other side of it, because often when people make an exit, they go, great, how was the exit, right? Well, let's flip down and tell a little bit and say, what are some things you wish people who are taking over as an acquisition is, is taking place, you wish they would hear, know, respect, and learn? You know, the thing about it is um, when you sell, you sell. You sell all of it. And if I'm... If I'm the acquirer, you know, realistically, I mean, you have, you know, there, there's a lot, there's a, there's a point in time for empathy. Um, but at the end of the day, they want something that you have, you have something that you want to sell and it's a transaction. It's transactional. And I think that if anybody gets too involved in the emotions of this, of the transaction, then you shouldn't be selling. Like if that's where you are, then don't sell it. But if you can, if you can just walk and just say, all right, you know, 
good, I'm done, then you're okay, right? Yeah, no, you're right. That, that, that's as cut and dry as the conversation is going to get because if you really are feeling that way, why are you selling, right? So then comes the psychology yeah. of, you know, when to sell. And I imagine your answer may be something like, well, are you okay with walking away from this? <laughs> it really boils down to that. Like, you, you know, how, how do you have a burning desire to get out? You know, um, you know, just like I said recently with, with Kush, I think, the founders, you know, had been at this for a long time and they just, you know, I think that there was some level of, okay, you know, next, right? Next. I want to do, I want to do something different and it's okay, right? That's, that's fine. That's, that's part of human nature. Um, but if you are the, the person who, you know, sells the company, it's like, God damn it. Do you know how much they just screwed up my company? And then you just can't, you know, you can't sleep at night anymore because somebody else sold some messed up what you have. Well, you know, I'd sit on the sidelines and go to Tahiti for a week or two or a month or two and come back, see how badly they messed it up. And then, you know, you got a pot of money, let them run it into the ground, buy it back from them pennies on the dollar and then do it all over again. Right. Just look at it as an opportunity. (laughs) I'd say it right there. So so you got an extended (laughs) vacation, you made a bunch of money and now you've got a great buying opportunity. That's a win-win. That's that, yeah. Only an investor can see that light. And and so then with that said, right, what can people expect as things close out now? We've got a few minutes here. Uh, what can people expect from uh Kush in the future as things move forward? Um, so our tagline is all the fun, no worry. It's gonna be a great place for um a community of um excited customers around the 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 space of CDB and cannabis. Um, we have uh, what we, when, when, when people see the word kush.com, um, we want people to have a giant smile on their face. You're going to see um, we're launching this really, we think it's um, an amazingly funny user generated content advertising campaign. Um, and every time that you interact with the brand, we want that experience to put a smile on your face. Just like, you know, historically, like cannabis might make you feel when you're sitting in, the, in, your, uh, in your bedroom watching an old Cheech and Chong movie or something. We want you to have that emotional reaction just when you see the, the word kush.com. So that's hopefully what people can expect to see. You know what? Lots of memes are coming to mind. Absolutely. I, I love where you're going with your messaging, your positioning, your branding, and it sounds like you're going to be ramping up your communications a lot more, which is awesome because that industry as a whole, I mean, and this could be a whole episode in itself, you know, with uh, with how careful you have to be about compliance and advertising and how you market. And it's 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 great to see someone seeing that as a fun opportunity as opposed to a hassle in the industry. Uh, as far as I can tell, coming from you. I mean, that's definitely our attitude, but the no worry part means that, you know, if it comes through Kush, it's been um, third-party tested, you know, it's legal. You can you can rest assured that we have done our work that made, to make sure that if it's, on, if it's in our catalog, then um, it's consistent. It doesn't have any heavy, heavy metals. There's no, you know, pesticides in the product, all that other stuff, so... It's both. We want to make sure that the products, you know, are legit. It's not, you know, it's not something that you buy on this street corner, but 
like you said, on the other side, from, from a purely branding and marketing side of things, we want the brand to represent you know, a feeling as well. So, No, man, it's, uh, it sounds aligned. And so with that said, where can the listener go or expect to be able to connect with you, uh, your companies, your portfolio, Kush, anything they want to dive into? Um, well, uh, Steve at McDonald.Ventures uh, is, is my investing arm. Uh, and if you want to talk to me at Kush, it's Steve at Kush.com. Right on. Steve, thank you for dropping by, sharing some knowledge, answering all my crazy questions. And uh, I hope this isn't the last time you and I chat. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks. It was fun. Thanks.